It's time for midday here on this Monday, September 20th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Glad to be a part of your day. Well, we have a busy show coming up, as we always do. Jason is in for sports. It was a busy and successful weekend for the most part. Of course, for UNK as well. I will talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. Meanwhile, Bob Rogan will step back into the studio to uh, give us a preview of if stocks are any better. Uh, a lot of red early on today. We'll see if they're uh, improving at even a little slightly. We'll, we'll take that. And, of course, coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll also hear from Paul Perkins. As it's a little cool out there, you already realize that. But we'll see how long those cool temperatures are going to last in our regional ag weather update. But in the meantime, let's head out east to Susan Littlefield, who actually is in Kansas City, I believe, who is not home. Yep. You're always on the road. Yeah, I'm on the road today and tomorrow. How are things going in Kansas City, and, and what are you covering today in Kansas City? Well, the Ag Outlook Forum is underway here in Kansas City. By the way, no rain and actually seeing uh, the sun try to poke out the clouds. But some great folks we've heard from Senator Jerry Moran. We're going to hear from USDA Seth Myers coming up, the Ag Economics, about what's happening in agriculture. And Tom Vilsack is wrapping up as we speak. Mm, okay. All right. So some good stuff happening down there at Kansas City. Also follow uh, her as well on Twitter for some live updates. We also will retweet those at KRVN. In the meantime, what do you have coming up for us on Midday? Well, Alex is going to kick everything off here at 1219 with Kevin Thielen, Executive Kansas Beef Council, as he talks about some recent operating committee meetings. At 1245, I'll step in to talk with Tim Chancellor. He's a pork producer from Nebraska who is utilizing solar energy in raising his augs and actually said in the summer months, seeing a drastic decrease in his electric bills. So we'll talk more about that. And then at 117, Alex excuse me, catches up with Jeff Peterson with Heartland Farm Partners. Talks about this week's market trends as harvest is getting underway in the Midwest. All right, some good stuff coming up today. We'll let you get back to the meetings. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you. All right, that's Susan Littlefield from Kansas City. Let's return to the studio here. Jason Jorgensen, it was... uh, well, it was a good weekend for UNK football, for Husker football. Played better, uh, played well, uh, but uh, still lost on the road. That's a moral victory, though. Oh, for Nebraska. Scott Frost did not need to go down there and be humiliated. So credit the Huskers. They, they showed up and played a good game, much better than many of us thought they would. Most of us thought, yes. I think. <laughs> yeah, we, we were keeping an update on it. I was like, wow. Now, the key is they've done this before and then slip back the next week. So they have another tough game this week on the road against Michigan State, who has been one of the real surprises mm-hmm. of the Big Ten. Their second-year head coach, Mel Tucker, went out and brought in 30 transfers, and apparently he chose wisely. And that's another instance of, why does he get to have so much success in bringing all these new dudes in? I've always said, if you know what you're doing, it doesn't take that long. Okay, we'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it. <laughs> also... The Denver Broncos are two and zero, hey. and the Kansas City Chiefs are one and one. Hey, that's uh, that's a world I like living in. <laughs> All right, Bob Brogan, welcome back. How are stocks looking? Are they still red? They are not looking good right now. Things are uh, lower on Wall Street following some declines overseas, um, including Hong Kong's Hang Seng. Also, Pfizer, though, on the good side of the ledger, is saying that its COVID nineteen vaccine works for children ages five to eleven. And they're seeking authorization to uh, be able to vaccinate this age group. So that's some good news. All right, great stuff. Aldi 15.
It is time for Regional Ag Weather Update here on this Monday. It's a, a cool start to our week as Paul Perkins is now joining us. 60s, uh, it's kind of the, the common theme, a common uh, temperatures across Nebraska. However, there are still a lot of 50s still lingering around there. Uh, particular out west and up north. Yeah, especially from about the Thedford area in the Nebraska Sand Hills on into the Panhandle. Still plenty of temperatures in the mid-50s to around 60. Still as cool as 52 mm. in Gearing right now and also 49 at Pine Bluffs, which is southwest of Scotts Bluff. That compares with temperatures still in the upper 70s to low 80s from Smith Center on into much of eastern areas of Kansas. So is there just a cold front that's just kind of lingering over uh, most of Nebraska right now? Yeah, slowly moving towards the east we will see these temperatures start to drop off as that cold front makes its way farther to the east so west and central areas seeing the influence of this cold front but still those eastern areas waiting for that cold front to arrive uh, also some upper 70s as you head into much of southeast nebraska right now and probably why we're seeing these annoying winds as well that have been lingering around really since saturday yeah it was a gusty south wind that we had over the weekend and then of course uh today we're getting some breezy northwest winds ushering in some cooler and drier air this cold front moving through and and a little bit of a disturbance on the backside is kicking up a little bit of light rain and sprinkle activity. Currently in central Nebraska, some of that light rain and sprinkle activity from Arcadia to Litchfield down to Sumner, Cozan, and just here in the Lexington area, also from about Curtis to McCook. Most of that light rain, very light indeed, though, is over north central Nebraska from about um, Naper in north central Nebraska down through just south of Atkinson, but all in all, a cool day. Yeah, it feels like a, a fall day, so we're getting another taste of that. Yeah, a little bit of fall, which, of course, of, of, uh, does arrive later in the week on Wednesday. But once again, most of us with temperatures in the mid to upper 60s, still those mid-50s to around 60 from about the Sand Hills and West Central Nebraska into the Panhandle. In advance of that front, those temperatures in the upper 70s to around 80, southeast Nebraska, and also from about Smith Center and Hayes and points off towards the east. Behind the passing of this cold front, today for most of us, 5 to 10 degrees cooler than average. We will see increasing amounts of sunshine. Already quite a bit of sunshine from Ogallala and North Platte and points to the north and west, but most of the area in fair amount of cloud cover. Also quite a bit of sunshine where that front still hasn't arrived over far southern Nebraska into much of northern Kansas. A few thunderstorms do remain possible, but mainly across the east through this afternoon. Dry weather taking Taking over for tonight through the weekend as a high-pressure ridge over the western U.S. services a block for any storm systems. We will see a reinforcing shot of some cooler air move to the south to keep our day for tomorrow and Wednesday seasonably cool. Thursday temperatures rebound to seasonably warm levels before another system passes to our north to cool the temperatures slightly for Friday. That high-pressure ridge edging east Saturday for a seasonable day and then a summer-like day in the 80s on Sunday. Something to watch. A dry finish to the month is increasingly light with that high-pressure ridge persisting. This means increasing fire weather concerns as grasslands and the crops start to dry. In the long-term forecast, this weekend through October 3rd, likely to be warmer than normal in Nebraska and Kansas. During that time in central Nebraska, average daytime highs cool to the low 70s, with average overnight lows cooling to the mid-40s, below normal rainfall expected for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through October 3rd. 
We do have the 90-day outlook that includes the months of October, November, and December. Nebraska and Kansas temperature is likely to be seasonal to slightly warmer than normal those three months with below normal precipitation expected for next month. November and December. Key weather factors influencing the markets include some moderate rain in the Corn Belt this week and the possible start of central Brazil's wet season in the Midwest over the weekend. It was mostly dry and good for maturing corn and soybeans and the continuation of harvest. Soil moisture continues to be mostly favorable for winter wheat development but is declining. Rounds of rain expected in most of the Midwest through Wednesday with some showers possibly lingering in the eastern Midwest on Thursday. The Midwest does turn drier later this week with better conditions for harvest, but there could see because some spotty showers this weekend. The southern plains stayed mostly dry this weekend. Some rain could occur through tomorrow, uh, and but the, actually the southern plains will turn drier for the end of the month in the southern plains. Soil moisture continues to be relatively low for much of the southern plains, and rain is needed for emerging winter wheat. For the northern plains, showers yesterday will continue today before it turns much drier, a benefit for the harvest. Southern Brazil continues to see rain this past weekend, benefiting the winter wheat and corn and soybean planting and establishment. Central Brazil, though, awaiting the start of the wet season, and they could see some of that benefit rain this upcoming weekend, delaying the daily rains of the wet season for at least another week. All right, so it's going to be cool for at least half the the week so far for most of us. You know, I was looking farther to the west into the mountains, and I know that they were talking that in the near future, possibly this week, they could even see some snow. Right now, it's 23 degrees <laughs> just in the mountains in Denver as a high right now. Yes, uh, yeah. What is this? Earthed Pass. Earthed Pass. There we yeah, go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 23 degrees right now. So it is. That time of year, I guess, uh, more and more as the days goes on, it's going to get cooler and cooler. Yeah, Walton Peak also down to 28 mm. in north-central Colorado. All right. Well, <laughs> let's hope those temperatures stay away for a while. Yes, we don't need any part no, freezes. No. All right. For your full weather forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you. Public Power District. Today we're visiting with Kevin Thielen. He's the executive director of the Kansas Beef Council and. Kevin, just before we came on air, you were sharing with me that you guys have just wrapped up your operating committee meetings for the year. If you would, recap those for us. How did they go? Yeah, well, Alex, thank you so much. I always appreciate the opportunity to get in front of, of you and your listeners and um, and kind of share some of the activities for the Kansas Beef Council. Um, so the operating committee is a joint body of producers. If you think about a checkoff dollar, by law, that dollar is split between the Cattlemen's Beef Board. So half of the dollar goes to the Cattlemen's Beef Board, and then the other half stays with, you know, a state beef council. So if you have a if you have a calf that's fed in Kansas and processed in Kansas, when um, those transactions are completed, that dollar goes to the Kansas Beef Council. And so basically, the operating committee is pulling those dollars kind of back together. And you have 10 Cattlemen's Beef Board members and 10 Federation members who make those funding decisions. October 1st is the new fiscal year for the checkoff. And so basically they are making decisions um, from October 1st, 22 to, to September 30th of 21. And, you know, they cover a large range of topics, but it's all basically designed to increase beef consumption and hopefully beef demand. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin, I think it can be easy, at least speaking for myself, that you hear about these funding decisions, but sometimes it's hard to see that money being used in real life. So do you have any examples that you could provide for us? Yeah. So, I mean, um, to give you an example, so there's a, 
a number of different contractors, right? Different groups that come together and, and ask for funds. And each time they ask for funds, obviously they're proposing work. So for me, kind of some of the big takeaways when I look at um, the things I'm excited about in 22, you know, export markets have been really, really good for us up to, you know, $340, $350 per fed animal are coming from our export markets. So a lot of emphasis was placed on making sure that we're focusing kind of around the world to sell all of the different cuts. So uh, USMEF is the contractor that does that work. And <clears throat> a lot of excitement kind of in some of those arenas and, and what have you. Um, other areas that I would say producers will see a lot more benefits as we're really starting to you think about what's important to a consumer. Sustainability is is something that, you know, especially with the new administration, certainly see a lot more emphasis being put on that and making sure that people understand that beef production, right, raising cattle is so beneficial for our environment and for our, our local communities and our country. And so you're going to see a lot more uh, focus on that as we as we roll through the year. Interesting piece of that is consumers lump sustainability and actually um, animal welfare all under one topic. And so beef quality assurance, you know, there's a push to not only get more producer certified um, under BQA, but also make sure that we're telling consumers about the BQA program. Because when you tell consumers about BQA, they become more comfortable with purchasing beef. And, and frankly, if you think about some of our competitors, which would be pork and poultry, having that BQA program helps us, gives us an advantage. And so I think that's something to think about. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for the update. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. That again is Kevin Thielen. He's the executive director of the Kansas Beef Council. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Zero one. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us. And over this weekend, we found out some more information about the NSAA and track and field. Yeah, this uh, will affect people. A lot of folks were wondering how this would go. Uh, the NSAA has announced that Class A and Class B state track and field championships will be Wednesday and Thursday in May, May 18th and 19th. Then they'll have Classes C and D on Friday, May 20th, 21st. Now, this past spring was the first time they split everything up due to COVID. And for the most part, it sounded like folks were in favor of that, kept the crowds a little bit. Right. Yeah. A little lower, kept people spread apart. So here you go. They're going to try it again. Listen, we've seen this, them doing it with, with soccer. I mean, they're basically going to flip flop days with girls and boys, all because of COVID. We've seen a lot of these kind of things that because of COVID, people are adjusting. And some of these different things that they've adjusted are like, oh, you know what? This actually is a good plan. And it sounds like that one will be too. So uh, keep that in mind coming up this May. Denver is off to a 2-0 start after they beat woeful Jacksonville yesterday. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater had another big day, and he says things are certainly off to a great start. A lot of room for improvement. Great team win. Can't wait to get back home. 2-0. Keep playing from the pack. Then with Broncos Stadium. Uh, I get to experience it this time. Playing for the Broncos. Uh, I experienced it the year the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Granted, Denver's wins are over Jacksonville and the Giants. Yeah. 
You got to start somewhere. Hey, you should go three and zero. You're going to open up at home. The schedule Sunday against the lousy Jets. Uh, you should win that by a hundred. Then you have Lamar Jackson and and uh, Baltimore coming to town after that. You never know. You never know. But how about the Raiders and the Broncos? Two and zero. Everybody else one and one. Yeah. Speaking of the Chiefs, they lost a game in the month of September mm-hmm. for the first time in five years. You mentioned Lamar Jackson. He'd been zero and three against Patrick Mahomes before he rushed for 107 yards and two TDs in there. 36-35 win last night over the Chiefs. College football experts are starting to pay attention to Kansas State. The Wildcats entered the Associated Press Top 25 rankings for the first time this season yesterday, a day after they completed a perfect run through non-conference play by knocking off Nevada 38-17. to Up next this week for K-State, they're on the road at Oklahoma State. Also, it was just announced that the Wildcats' Big 12 home opener against Oklahoma on October 2nd. That'll be a 2.30 kickoff. Mm. Shown nationally on Fox. Wildcats are going for their third straight win in that series. Good for them. And they're doing it with a backup quarterback as well. So good for the Wildcats. UNK football team improved to 3-0 and on the year with a come-from-behind 28-24 win over Washburn on Saturday. The Lopers went 65 yards late in the fourth quarter to get the win. Quarterback T.J. Davis, who had the game-winning touchdown, says they had confidence they could get it done. I think that's a credit to us trusting our defense. That's one thing that we always want to pride ourselves. We call each other family, and we believe by that. And... Davis had another monster day, accounting for almost 400 total yards and three scores. Tyler, I know you were there. You helped me with the broadcast on Saturday. He's he's good. It's impressive <laughs> what he can do. He's getting smarter and smarter with the football, the options. He knows the right read. Yeah, that's a stud. That that uh, is still somewhat you know kind of flying under the radar. It seems like I mean, he's not getting a lot of recognition. I think so. He rushed for over 200 yards on 30 carries. You have to wonder if they want him running the ball that much. And he put together a beautiful game-winning drive uh, that he scored the final touchdown for the win. Uh, UNK plays at winless Central Missouri this Saturday. Lober volleyball team had their 28-match winning streak at home, snapped on Saturday night by a very good Washburn squad in four sets. UNK's 9-1. and They'll host 11-6 and Hastings College tonight at 5.30. Two programs haven't played since 2013. If you can't make it out to the Health and Sports Center, we'll have it over on 93.1 The River and 106.9 in Kearney. Well, it was a tough match for UNK volleyball Saturday uh, from the pictures and videos I saw. Great crowd. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah. There should be a good crowd on hand tonight, I would think, as oh, well. So it's it's cool they're playing. This is just an exhibition for Hastings College, but mm. they're close enough. They should play. Okay. Very good. And that'll be over on the river in 106.9 FM and Carney. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 92 million. It is time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder is now joining us here in the studio, and Well, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts held a news conference uh, earlier today. Yes, this morning he proclaimed September as Suicide Prevention Month in Nebraska to emphasize the importance of reaching out for help when facing mental illness. Sherry Dawson, Director of Behavioral Health for the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services, spoke of resources available in the state to help those in need and said everyone can get involved in reaching out continue, continue, continue to get the word out. Y'all take CPR. I want you to make sure that you have the opportunity to take QPR, which is question, persuade, refer. 
It provides, just like CPR, an awareness of the signs and symptoms, the opportunities once you uh, experience or uh, see here um, from another person about some signs you're concerned about that you continue the conversation to get them um, to help. Dawson talked about the available resources, prioritizing mental well-being, and announced a new suicide prevention campaign. This past Saturday, the North Platte 911 Center received a call for a deceased subject at a residence in the 1800 block of North Jackson Street. Officers with North Platte Police and North Platte Fire responded to the scene. Upon arrival, they found a female deceased in the residence. An investigation into the circumstances of the death is ongoing, and the identity of the female has not been released at this time. An autopsy has uh, listed heart disease as a death of former sheriff's deputy whose body was found in his home the day before he would have faced sentencing for his role in an $11 million fraud scheme. The Fremont Tribune reports that former Dodge County Sheriff's Deputy Craig Harbaugh had a history of heart problems and was on medication, according to a news release from the Dodge County Attorney's Office. A toxicology report showed no indication of intentional or accidental drug overdose, and the investigation found no evidence that Harbaugh caused his own death. He was found dead on July 8th. Federal court sentencing was supposed to be held on July 9th. Stocks fell broadly on Wall Street this morning following declines overseas and extending a weak patch that has brought the U.S. market down over the past two weeks. The Dow was down 1.5%. Benchmark index hasn't had a decline of more than 1% since mid-August. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Solar energy and agriculture. Popularity is picking up in agriculture as we talk with one pork producer. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Tim Chancellor of Broken Bow, past president of the Nebraska Pork Producers Association, sat down with me to talk about solar energy and his operation. When my son came back and started helping in the operation, uh, I told him that was going to be his pot pet project and get on board with us and he's done a lot of the work getting everything lined up and all the the benefits to it for me uh, we've actually been able to put two 25 kws on two of our sites and then with dawson public power we were able to do a pilot project with them and do a larger uh, 100 kw solar production on those sites uh, to produce about 80% of our energy demand. And they've been real good to work with back and forth. And we're running it, going to look at it. We look at it, they do daily, and then at the end of the year see where a, a good working relationship can be because obviously there's a cost to the public power to provide the lines, the transformer, our service to us. And they've got to be able to cover those costs and to pay for that and us offset some of our operating costs. What has been some of the biggest benefits that you've seen since installing them? Self-production, yeah. Uh, my On one of my big sites, my at the highest peak month, which would be June, July, August, right in there, it's gone down by three quarters of, of what it normally is. Typically, we'll run a load of about $4,000 in energy cost for a month and that's come down to a thousand to twelve hundred dollars it's it's made a huge difference 
Well, not of that, but you, you get to show folks that utilizing and harvesting what Mother Nature throws at you in the sun is just another example of sustainable agriculture. It is, and it's a great platform. The roof's already there. We just add the panels to it. It doesn't take any more land, any footprint. If you do put it off of the barn, you put it close to the barn site there, and it's just it's it's a no-brainer it adds to what you already have there and what you're producing and can put uh, money back into your park pocket when you're looking at everyday uh, fluctuations in the markets and inputs it it's a way that we can add back to our operation allow more of our kids to come back to the operation without adding any more work once it's there it's producing. You don't have to do chores every day, maintain. The, I mean, it's just, it's it's really neat. What do you think was the maybe the biggest hesitant you had initially when you were looking at solar? Sure. Uh, getting all the figures together, uh, I've been really, I stay really busy. I'm the wean finish supervisor with Thomas Livestock there and a lot of crew to work with and loads to schedule and just taking the time to put it all together and that's where my son came into play he, he was able to put that all together for me and I could sit down and look at what it meant to the operation and th that was huge once I saw the numbers uh, with with the tax credits that are available with the energy loans that are credible the depreciation uh, it just it just man it just it makes a lot of sense and for those pigs, they don't know the difference if no. it's if it's solar energy or energy coming from the from the co-op. Yeah, and you know, coming in the future, there's batteries available right now. They're not cost-effective, but coming in the future, utilizing the a small battery pack for an extended power outage, maybe if you can get two to three hours of coverage on that. It gives you time to get to the barn, and from an animal welfare standpoint, it's huge to have that battery backup for, for a power outage. So, What type of conversations have you been having with other livestock producers about this? I mean, you, you spoke here. What's been their reaction, and is there a desire? Are you hearing more producers wanting it? Uh, quite a few. I know the, the company that we're utilizing, GenPro Energy Solutions, they have lined up, uh, besides our barns, several others in Thomas Livestock and our, our neighbors, and then even outside the area, and some of the builders have become very interested in being able to offer that on a new-build barn and just make it part of the package as they build the barn. So it's, it's really exciting where it's going. So just a curiosity from a structural standpoint, you talk about putting them on the roofs. Did you have to do any extra... For, for weight being added to those roofs? Sure. So I hired an architect to sign off and look at the structural engineering of, of the trusses. Uh, typically, builders overbuild the roof for Nebraska standards for snow load and for wind load. It adds about two pounds per square foot to the, to the roof. And it's a really small footprint. The technology has gone from 100 watt panels to 200 to 300 400 now i think we're at 425 450 so it's very few panels on the roof to to do what you need to but i had them sign off on it and make sure that i wasn't going to have a snow loading or wind loading project that's nebraska pork producer tim chancellor talking about solar panels in his hog operation i'm susan littlefield on the borough radio network
As harvest gets underway for many producers across the Midwest, how is that influencing market trade at this time? Jeff Peterson of Heartland Farm Partners first looks at the driving factors in the corn and soybean markets. We're kind of looking at big picture, the time and difference between supply and demand. And what I mean by that is everybody's trying to understand where our supply is at. And, you know, we're just not getting enough yield reports yet. But this is going to start this week. We're going to see more yield reports coming in and we'll get a handle on that. And then we're also trying to understand from the demand side, it's really hard to know because with the situation with the Gulf and not all the export elevators up and running yet, they physically, we don't know, okay, so how much is a reduction in our demand? that we're seeing because of that and how much of that is real world changes. So we've got that going on. The other thing we have to realize is that the funds are still long. They're long over 200,000 contracts of corn. They're long over 50,000 contracts of soybeans. So they're still wanting this market to go higher yet. And in addition, we're getting some outside pressure here this morning. As a matter of fact, I kind of thought we'd have been a little higher this morning, but we've got some news coming out of China that sounds like their largest real estate developer. Looks like they defaulted on a payment. So that's put some pressure on the stock market, which in turn caused the U.S. dollar to go higher. And turning to the international focus, Jeff said that South America is always something to keep our eyes on. They've got that time of the, you know, in between during the summer months, really up through mid-September, where they aren't able to have any soybeans physically uh, planted or growing in Brazil. And actually, last week, uh, northern Brazil and southern Brazil can now plant soybeans. However, the, the conditions are dry, and that's not unusual for this time of year. The monsoon just hasn't kicked in yet. Um, it'll be a lot more concerning if we get to this time of year in October. Uh, corn-wise, though, the first corn crop is moving along. They're probably about mid 20% planted on that. A few other things that we've got our eye on though out of South America is what it looks like is they're talking about soybean acres for this 21 crop could be up about 3.7% which that would give them actually increased production of about 6.7%. What they're talking about though is on the corn side between the safrina crop and also that first crop it could be up about 6.3% on acres but production could be up about 26%. And that's mainly because they had just such a poor safrina corn crop because of dry conditions and also the multiple freezes that they had this past year. And moving forward, Jeff shares what the corn and soybean markets will be watching. It's going to be what type of yield information are they going to end up seeing? And can we get those export elevators back up and running? You know, and then at the end of the month, we can't forget about that. We'll also have the quarterly stocks report. So they'll use that as a way to see, you know, is our demand information and where our ending stocks are for this 2020 crop? um, Is that about where everybody expects it to be? And finally, Jeff shared his thoughts on the lingering near-term impacts of Hurricane Ida. It's definitely going to impact the Eastern Corn Belt. And the Eastern Corn Belt is going to impact them in a couple ways. They aren't going to have the export capacity to get the the ships loaded as many as they would like to see. It's also going to impact the barge traffic on the Mississippi River. It's actually been beneficial for us so far in the Western Corn Belt because what that's meant is there's been basically more ships that need to be loaded out of the Pacific Northwest out of the Washington area. And that means those bushels are generally on both the corn and the soybean side kind of sourced from our part of the country. The only thing we have to keep an eye on, though, is the fact that they are getting close to capacity at the PNW, which means at some point in here, we'll have to watch and make sure the basis doesn't soften a little bit. That again is Jeff Peterson of Heartland Farm Partners from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska's Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the world before investing. 
Playpad on the World Radio Network as we check in now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this weekend. Grain, as we come across, unfortunately having some trouble trying to connect with John here this afternoon, but again, a risk-off day across much of the complex. That's as we see a lot of red on the screen in the grains. Uh, them following in suit of what we saw happen in the outside trade, a lot of that tied to the fact that one of the largest development companies in China, Evergrande, looks to be possibly defaulting on its first set of interest payments by later this week uh, as the company's hierarchy and higher-ups are trying to get together to try and put together a large sum of money. Whatever Grand sets kind of right now, they need to come up with $83.5 million by most analyst estimations by Wednesday for some bonds that are coming due in 2022, then another $47.5 million in an interest payment that's coming due next Tuesday. That'd be September the 29th, or excuse me, next Wednesday, September the 29th. So as that starts to fold out, the Chinese Central Communist Party has not said that they are going to uh, try and backfill or get them out of this situation. They are willing to let the company default and go. So the main concern there is how invested are other global firms, how invested are other global banks, and where all will these ripples, once they land home, how devastating will they be? So really, that has kind of soured the entire investment community. Uh, as they go through. So that's a lot of what the concern that we're seeing here come in. And it spilled over into the commodity sector as well. Energies were lower. Metals were lower for especially things that are very important to China, like copper, as we're seeing the metals uh, start to drop down as well. So a lot to be considered and taken up there. U.S. dollar index a little bit higher today, albeit the export inspections from USDA were positive, were improving week to week. Corn was up almost four times that at 403,000. Soybeans saw a nice jump from 193,000 to 275. 5,000. But when you look at the year to date, that's a little more off putting. That's where we see corn exports last year, nearly 2 million metric tons this year to 601,000. Soybean exports last year were 3.7 million metric tons. This year, they're just a shade under half a million metric tons. So some large discrepancies there. Of course, this week we do see the Gulf coming more online. And again, analysts are hopeful that once the Gulf is fully online, a lot more of that grain is able to get pushed into the boats and is able to come to the global market. But obviously, some of this early data, not necessarily the positive numbers that we were wanting to see come off of a lot of this. But fundamentally, we'll get out to information this afternoon. Of course, talking with Mike Zuzlo at the midday. He was driving across Missouri, noting early harvest there. Looked like combines moving along at a steady pace. He wonders if poor yields won't cause a, a, quite a quick harvest really to come across much of the Midwest. That could very invigorate the bulls if it looks like maybe USDA overjumped it in the September Wednesday, increasing that yield. This is the check of the closing grain trade on the World Radio Network. Thank you, Clay. That'll wrap up this Monday edition of Midday. Catch the Midday podcast wherever podcasts can be found or online at krvn.com.